you have your Bible, I pray that you do. Turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and um, where we'll be this morning. And as I said last week, we started a new series, uh, The Significant Sayings from the Cross. And uh, we talked about where Jesus said, uh, you know, and some believe as he's being nailed to the cross, he, he cries out in prayer, remember? And we talked about it and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we looked at forgiveness last week. And, uh, and so, uh, again, if you missed it, I pray that you'll buy up the opportunity. It's there on the website. You can go out on a podcast, listen to it while you're driving down the road. Uh, not because I'm such a great communicator, but I believe that the Lord will communicate the message to your heart through that last week, and so I pray that you'll do that. This morning, we continue our series by looking at the next big thing that Jesus had to say from the cross, and what's amazing to me is if you look around, there's people that focus their attention, and, and sometimes we get caught up into it as well, but for the most part, people focus their attention in just about every direction except back to God. They focus in, in all kinds of directions except for looking back at God. But when we consider it all, I think about the cross of Calvary, right, is where Jesus, he literally becomes sin for us. He literally actually places sin upon himself. He becomes sin for us and he's crucified for us. And in that he's purchasing for you and I not only forgiveness but eternal salvation or security. And so it's an amazing thing. Hey guys, I don't know. Let me take a break just for a second. Does anybody else hear a hum? Or is it my hearing aids? You hear it? I don't know if audio, if we can do something with a hum. I don't know. I hear, I hear a good little hum. Do you hear it? Only two people in the room hear it. Do you have hearing aids? <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, all right. Well, it's an amazing thing to me when I think about it because when we look at the cross of Calvary, if you think just about in these terms, look back at Calvary, right? Calvary is where Jesus died, and so it's at Calvary where sin and Satan were defeated, amen? It's at Calvary that salvation was forever claimed through Jesus Christ, and it's at Calvary where you see this battle. There's a battle that's raging between heaven and hell, and they're doing battle at this place called Calvary, but I got some good news for you. It's at Calvary where heaven claimed victory forever and forever and forever and forever. And you can just keep on repeating that. That's an amazing thing to me to think that I don't have to do anything. And so when we turn and we look back in time and we see Jesus' death on the cross at Calvary, we're, we're, we're reminded, as that song says, that that's the moment, that's the place where his wonderful grace reached down to even you and me. Today, his grace reaches down to you and to me. And so look in chapter 23, because as we'll see in today's uh, text, we're going to see that the Bible calls these men, so to speak, who are crucified by Jesus. The Bible refers to them in Luke as malefactors. And you may have a different version of scripture and it may say something else, but it says that they're malefactors. And here's what I want you to know, that, that the idea of being a malefactor just simply means that these guys... They're evildoers. They're criminals. And so uh, what we know from God's word is that these guys have broken the law so much that they're actually being punished 
for their crimes, and the punishment for their crimes is the fact that they're being put to death. And so that's what we know about these guys. We don't know much about them. We know that literally they're in the same boat. They're being nailed to a cross next to Jesus. And the reality is we don't know their names. We don't know their hometowns. We don't know their specific crimes. And by the way, there's a lot of people who try to put stuff in the scripture. I would warn you against that because that's a dangerous proposition. I know that there are some people who have said, well, these two malefactors were brothers. Well, where do you see that? They say that they're brothers because of the way that they talked with one another. Really, we don't know. But it appears to me that these guys are exactly the same at first glance. When we look at them, they're exactly the same boat. Listen, they're both sentenced to die. They've both been severely beaten, just like our Lord, right? We see that both of them have been stripped naked. They've got this crowd that is sneering and jeering at them. It really, the scene, they're covered with blood, presumably, and dirt. They've been... Uh, marched up to this hill, Golgotha, this place called Calvary. And so at first glance, we see these men, they're dying, and both of these men will soon be dead. And so when we look at it, we say, man, these guys are in the same boat. They're exactly the same. But when we look in Scripture this morning, you're going to find out that these men couldn't be uh, more different than anyone. Listen, Look in, look in our text here. Look at chapter 23. Other than the physical features of these men that we could look at, there are some huge differences when we look in Scripture. Look at verse 32. Or yeah, 32. We'll read a couple verses there. Look at verse 32, chapter 23. The Bible says, And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, speaking of Jesus, and the malefactors. One on the right and the other on the left. Now drop down to verse number 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read your word and to hear your word. God, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding that we might just see a couple of thoughts this morning that would speak to our hearts and change us from the inside out. Lord, whether we're a believer here this morning or whether we're here and we've never placed our faith, we've never called out upon the Lord for the forgiveness of sin, maybe that's our situation today. Maybe we're listening and we've never trusted Christ as our Savior. No matter what our spiritual condition is right now, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us, that you would... Uh, Allow the word to fall upon the good soil of our hearts that we might take it and apply it to our very lives. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for what you'll do in the next few moments of time. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Look right away with me. Look at verse number 39 because right away the Bible tells us everything that we need to know about the first man. And the first man, I'm just going to submit to you that the first guy is hardened. He's become hard. Have you ever met somebody who has a hard exterior? They're just rough. You try to break them down and they're just hard. 
This guy is a hard sinner. Look at verse 39. It says, One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Well, here's look, look right there at the verse. The Greek word that's translated as railed in English is the Greek word blasphemao. And it's actually where we get the word blaspheme, right? And so literally, this word railed actually means that this guy, he's vilifying, he's defaming, he's reviling, and he's speaking evil of Jesus all at once. Now think about this. Why is he reviling Jesus? Why wouldn't he be uh, reviling his accusers? Why wouldn't he be hollering at the crowd that is sneering at him? But he's reviling Jesus here in this passage. And I want you to notice something. Put that verse back up for me, if you guys will. Verse number 39. Because I want you to see grammatically where it says, uh, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. That verb is used in the imperfect tense. And you guys are like, so what? What does this mean? Did I come here to go to English class? No, and I will tell you, it's hard for me sometimes to remind myself of verb tenses. But when we see a verb in the imperfect tense, such as railed on him, what it means to you and I is that the action of this verb is ongoing. It's continuous. It's not something that this one man just did, and he said, uh, reviled Jesus or he said something against Jesus and then he shut up. No, this verse is telling us that this man is continually ongoing. He's not stopping. He's continuing to defame. He's continuing to vilify Jesus Christ. And if you remember last week, we talked about last words. And we talked about last words are important, right? And most of the time, People pay attention to last words. Like when I leave in the morning, uh, sometimes Krista will be asleep or whatever, and I'll lean over and I'll kiss her on her forehead. And, and she'll, she, sometimes she'll go, hmm? Hmm? That would be her last word if something were to happen to me. Right? I, I'll lean over and I'll kiss her. I'll be like, I'll see you later, baby, uh, right? Um, I, I have all kind of nicknames for her, so I won't tell you all of those. All right, sometimes I say grr, sometimes I say critta, sometimes I say baby. I've got all kind of names. But I'll lean over and I'll say, I love you. Now, if that were the last thing she were ever to hear, praise the Lord. Last words are important, especially. Think about this. This guy is dying. Does he have any message that he wants to tell people? Does he have a message of repentance? Does he say, hey, I'm sorry that I was a criminal. I'm sorry that I was a thief. I'm sorry that I killed this person. Whatever he did, we don't know his crime. But his last words are really, really significant. Because verse 39, look at it. It tells us that this man who's dying, all he can think to do in the very last hours of his life is to mock, to revile, and to hurl insults at Jesus. He just keeps on cursing him. This is what he chooses to do in the last moments of his life. And sadly, this criminal spends his life continually mocking the only one. Think about it. He's mocking the only one who could save his soul. That's crazy. He's literally hanging on a cross next to the answer to his soul's problem 
and he just can't see it. He mocks him. In fact, I would suggest that his words show us his doubt and unbelief. Look at verse 35 of chapter 23. Look back up just a few verses because he joins right in with the people. See, he wants to be just like the people. Instead of being angry with the people who are putting him on the cross, instead of being angry with those that have accused him and convicted him of his crime, notice he joins right in. Verse 35 says, And the people stood, beholding, and the rulers with them derided him. They're sneering at Jesus. They're treating him with contempt and saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. See, they're, they're, they have contempt for Jesus Christ. And not only the rulers, not only the Pharisees and the scribes and, and all these, but even the Roman soldiers get in on it. Because notice, it goes on and it says, verse 36, And the soldiers also mocked him coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, if thou be the king. So see, the soldiers want to know, if you're the king, do something. And the rulers are saying, hey, if you're Messiah, do something. And so they say, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and in Hebrew, saying, this is the king of the Jews. Folks, this first man is unconvinced, he's unconcerned, and as far as I can see, he goes out into eternity unconverted. And typically when we read this, a lot of times we'll read this passage around Easter and we're ramping our way towards Easter. A lot of people read this and they'll say, oh, what a shame. I've never seen anybody weep over this first man. I've never seen anybody preach a message that said, man, this guy missed out on eternity with Jesus. They've never looked at the sad state of affairs of this man. But can I tell you a real truth? A real where the rubber meets the road truth? There's nothing different about this man in Scripture other than the fact that the Bible calls him a malefactor, a criminal, than those that may be in this room, may be listening, or may be driving down the road that are without Christ. Just because he's a criminal, Right? His worst problem is not that he's a criminal. His worst problem is that he doesn't have Jesus. He's called a malefactor. Oh, my goodness. Someone said he wasn't a sinner because he was a thief. He was a thief because he was a sinner. He did what he did because he was what he was. He wasn't a thief. He was just a sinner. And you and I sometimes get caught up in doing things that we know are wrong. Not because we're this or that or the other, but because we are sinners. We're covered with flesh. And we make decisions many times on, as we were talking about Wednesday night, wisdom that is not from above. Many times we make decisions based on the wisdom that's not from above. And the Bible says in James chapter 3 that it's earthly, it's sensual. And sometimes even that wisdom that's not from above, the Bible says, is devilish. See, we have to be very, very careful here to con not to condemn this first man. He's in an awful state. The Bible confirms this over and over. It says in Romans 3, verse number 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. In Romans 3, 23, you've heard this before. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Think about Galatians 3 and verse 22. Scripture reminds us that uh, Scripture has concluded, excuse me, that all are under sin. If we look over in Ecclesiastes, the wise man Solomon says in verse 20, For there is not a just man upon the earth. 
By the way, this is why this man, why we and he needed a savior. He's railing on Jesus. How horrible. How horrible is it that he wasted the last hours of his life denying and blaspheming or cursing the Son of God. And sadly, folks, there are multitudes of people who are guilty of doing the same thing today. They may not be hanging on a cross. They, not be, they may not be identified as a malefactor, as a criminal, or as an evildoer. People might not walk around and say, hey, look at this one, this sinner over here. Look at what they're saying. But multitudes of people are doing the same thing. There's people who curse God, ridicule God. There's people who are taking the name of God in vain. There's people who are mocking the Lord. They mock his church. They mock his work. They don't believe in God. And by the way, there's also some people, this is a crazy thing, they actually will admit there is a God, but they live as if he doesn't exist or if it doesn't matter. They'll come... They'll come to worship on Sunday, maybe, and they'll say, man, there is a God, praise the Lord, give me faith. Oh, what a day that's going to be when I see Jesus. And then we go out and we live as if he doesn't exist. Are we any better than this malefactor? You see, most of the time, people say, oh yeah, I believe there's a God. But then their lives don't convince people that they are living that way as if they believe there's a God. If you look back in our text at verse 40 and 41, we move very quickly from seeing this guy who's become hard. He's, he's hard in his sin, but we see a great snapshot of the second criminal. But what we find is very different because somehow, some way, this guy has become honest with himself. He's an honest sinner, if you please. Verse 1, he says, he says, verse 40, but the other answering rebuked him. So now he's rebuking the other criminal, it says, he rebuked him saying, dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he points back to Jesus. He said, this guy, he's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing amiss. So right away, this guy, he admits that he's guilty. In essence, what he's saying, he's saying, he says, he looks over. Remember, one of them's on the left, one of them's on the right. He's looking over and he's saying, bro. You and I are getting what we deserve. But you saw it just like I saw it. This guy's done nothing. They're putting him to death. He's an innocent man. Don't you fear God? And you say, well, that would be good if that was all he said. But folks, that's not all he said. You know, it's kind of uh, refreshing. I was thinking about this this week while I was reading this, and I, I see his honesty. He says, we're, we're getting what we deserve, right? He's very honest about his sin. I thought there was something refreshing about that. Because we live in a day and age that whenever there's a problem, whenever sin is running rampant, it always seems to be somebody else's fault. It's like, uh, uh, well, I didn't do it. Uh, it was my wife who made me eat that fruit. My kid made me do it. My boss won't let me do this. My neighbor got me wrangled in this. Instead of being honest and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, just please forgive me. We like to blame everyone else instead of saying, listen, I blew it, I messed up, I'm a sinful person, right? But this guy, he says, I'm honest. He says, I'm going to be honest. It's my sin that has me hanging here on the cross. And he looks over at the other guy and he says, you and I, you know that you're guilty. You and I both 
have received exactly what we deserve. But this guy in the middle, he doesn't deserve this. He says, I'm guilty. I'm getting what I deserve. But by the way, let me just say something. If you go to Mark chapter 15 and then Matthew chapter 27, the Bible tells us that at some point after they were first nailed to the cross that both of these men were reviling Jesus. In fact, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 29, notice what the Bible says. And it says, and they passed by, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking said among themselves with the scribes, Well, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They're literally tempting Jesus. But notice what verse 32 says. And they, that means both of them, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. That word reviled in Mark chapter 15 verse 32 actually means to insult, to rebuke, or here's what I, here's what I like, to taunt. So at some point, this guy who's now become honest about his sin was involved in taunting Jesus with the other sinner. So I put down in my notes, what happened? Something must have happened along the way. Something changed. Something must have caught his attention. Something took place. Something must have revealed to his heart that he knew that Jesus was no ordinary man. Maybe it was Jesus' silence that changed his mind. You say, what do you mean it was Jesus' silence? Maybe it was his silence that started to work on this man's heart because, you know, Isaiah prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before in Isaiah 53, 7. This is what he said about the Savior that would go to the cross. He said these words, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Maybe this guy says, hey, maybe it was his silence that started to work on his heart. Maybe it was the fact that he had just heard Jesus say something really significant as he's being nailed to the cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's like, whoa, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was the fact that they hung a sign over Jesus' head. Right? And they wrote it in three languages. Here he is, the king of the Jews. Maybe all of these things, and you and I, we can speculate. But oh, apart from God's word and the spirit of God, we don't know. We don't know what it really was. But whatever it was, his perspective of who Jesus really was had changed. You see, at some point, this man got honest with himself. And he realizes that his only hope was the guy hanging on the cross right next to him. Incredibly, I was thinking about this, incredibly, he sees Jesus in his weakest moment and he still believes that he is the king. He believes him to be the king. He's a man, this man is a crucified sinner trusting in a crucified savior. How amazing is that? He's being killed for his sin and he's trusting in a guy right next to him to become his savior. Oh, everyone else looked at Jesus and saw him as a lunatic or a liar. But when we look in Scripture, this man looks at Jesus and now he sees God. Look at verse 40. In verse 40, he says, Dost thou not fear God? Is what he's saying to his, 
this other malefactor, he says, seeing thou art in condemnation, he realizes who Jesus is. He looks at Jesus and he not only sees God, but he sees perfect righteousness. Because verse 41 says this man has done nothing amiss. He realizes that Jesus has become the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And he says, don't you see it? Don't you see it? And he goes on. He looks at this man in verse 42. He, sees, he looks at Jesus and he sees the only one who could conquer death, hell, and the grave. Notice what he says. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Folks, when this guy calls Jesus Lord, by the way, that word is kurios. When he refers to him in that text, he is saying, I believe you are supreme in authority. When he calls him Lord, this man is pronouncing his faith in Jesus' power. He says, I believe you got the power, and I want to catch some of your power. Listen, he also says, Lord, remember me. He says, remember me. When he says to remember me, he's making known his faith in the mercy of Christ. He says, I know that you can remember me. I know that you can do something that no one else can do. By the way, remember, grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding what we do deserve. This guy knows that he's about to die. And he knows that what he really deserves is eternal separation from God. But he realizes that there's something different about Jesus. He realizes that he is God in the flesh. And he says, essentially, God, when he says, Lord, he's saying, God, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And by the way, I've heard people say the craziest things about this statement. Can I tell you, the first criminal is looking for a way out. He says, save thyself and us. Right? Everybody's telling Jesus to get down off his cross. The first guy says, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're Christ, save yourself and us. He throws in the us part because he's looking for a way out. But this guy... He's looking for a way in. The one guy wants out. This guy wants in. He says, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Would you do that? See, because here in text, he's not saying, he says, he knows he's going to die. So he's not saying, Jesus, would you remember my name? Would you put up some kind of a plaque when you come into your kingdom about me? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, he says, I believe that when you die, you're going to go into another kingdom. And I'm saying, when you get there at the end of time, would you remember me? Could there possibly be a place in your kingdom for a sinner, for a criminal like me? Is what he's saying. And notice, he doesn't deserve it, but he asks Jesus anyway. And then notice in verse number 30 or 43, excuse me, in verse 43. Jesus says unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Folks, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This guy, he's dying. And he exercises more faith in his last hours of life than many people exercise in a lifetime. He says, Lord, remember me. See, he believes but he also makes confession in his belief. He not only believes, he says, does I not fear God? He says, Lord, remember me. He, he confesses that Jesus is Lord, and then he believes that he is Lord, excuse me, and then he confesses by saying, remember me. 
He confesses him. And that's what the Bible says in Romans 10. In verses 9 and 10, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It goes on in verse 10 and says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Oh yes, my friends, uh, he placed Jesus on the throne of the universe by calling him Lord. He placed Jesus on the throne of his heart by saying, remember me. And Jesus says, yep. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And what's interesting about this one verse is I see, I see three, it's a threefold promise in one. Jesus gives him a threefold promise of his salvation here in one verse. Notice, notice right away, this man's salvation is immediate because Jesus says, look at verse 43, today. He says, right now, today, you're going to be in paradise. He doesn't say, hey, when I establish my kingdom, when I get there and I get everything set up, I'll call for you and be like, yalla, ali, 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 come free, come on. The game's over, come on. He says, no, today. Your salvation is immediate. But also he says that it's personal because Jesus says, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with, what does he say? With me. It's very personal. He says, in other words, Jesus is saying, you remember, there was a, a song I remember when I was a kid. It's like, wherever you go, I go. Wherever I go, you go. That's what Jesus is saying to him. He's saying, wherever I'm going. Guys, do you picture the scene? Jesus is hanging on the cross. This guy is hanging on the cross. He knows he's about to die. And Jesus says, hey, man, wherever I go, you go. That's amazing. Whoa, the grace of Jesus that reaches down to me. He says, wherever I'm going, that's where you're going. And by the way, we need to make sure we remember what heaven's all about. And a lot of people, a lot of times, yes, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. And we know that's from John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, 3, right? But we got to get a hold of this thing called heaven. Because if we look in the book of the Revelation, yes, we'll see the gates of pearl. That's amen. Yes, we'll see the walls of jasper. We'll see the streets of gold. We'll see the river of water of life. We'll see the tree of life. Praise the Lord, the tree of life is going to be there. Paradise lost. Paradise restored one day, right? And so we have to understand, folks, that heaven is and never will be about the descriptions of what it looks like. It's not about the descriptions of the destination. It's all about Jesus. Listen, heaven is all about Jesus. When we pass into forever, I'm guessing I'm not going to be too concerned with the streets of gold. Although that's nice. I guess I'm not going to be concerned with the walls of jasper or the gates of pearl. Because guess what? I'm going to go right on through those gates. Most people don't let me in a lot of places. There's a lot of places they bar me from going, but I got news for you. You ain't stopping this kid from going to heaven. Ain't none of y'all coming between me and Jesus. I'm going to go right on through those gates of pearl, but I got news for you. As soon as I bust through those gates of pearl, I'll probably not look back at them one moment. Because you know who I'm going to be looking at? This is crazy. Last breath. Eternity. And guess who's there waiting for me? 
What a day that's going to be. And so this man's salvation is immediate, it's personal, and we got to get a grip on what heaven looks like. But it also is heavenly because Jesus says, Today shalt thou be with me in where? Paradise. Guys, i got news for you. It ain't, it ain't about how big you think your mansion is or how small you think your room is. It's about paradise. And by the way, the Jews, the, the Jews actually return, uh, referred to eternal glory as paradise. Which is why I'm guessing Jesus said today, you're going to be with me in paradise. It is a reference back to the Garden of Eden. By the way, who, who planted, prepared, and put the Garden of Eden into existence? Uh, who's preparing and putting all things eternal into, uh, into uh, its plan and, and everything? Yeah. It's paradise lost, paradise restored. And so here we see that this man's salvation is immediate, it's personal, and it's heavenly. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 6, he says these words in verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Ten verses later, in the same chapter, Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. This man says, Lord, remember, we, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says, I got some great news for you. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to experience eternal happiness. You're going to go into that eternal glory that you're talking about. And we're going together. Oh, listen, as he's dying on the cross, Jesus loves this sinner by saying, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, and let me just say this, you say, well, I'm a believer, I don't need this message. Be very careful. We need this message. Because as a believer, this message has bolstered my faith to remind me that I serve a God who not only hears me, but he answers me when I call. He answers this guy in the very last minutes of his life. And by the way, just so we're clear, that's not a smart move. I know there's some people thinking, hey, I'm glad you preached on this text because I'm thinking I'm 42 years old, and I'm not 42, but you might be. Uh, I'm 42 years old, and I'm thinking I'm going to trust Jesus when I'm 82. I'm going to live like the devil while I can, and then when I get to 82, I promise to trust Christ. Don't make me laugh at you. Because the Bible says, boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You remember the man, he had some big barns. And Jesus told the story about this guy who had big barns. And he said, look at me, I'm going to tear my barns down. Because I don't have enough room to store all my goods in it, so watch me. Looky here, I'm going to build it. We're going to tear it down. And so he tears down the barns, and he says, this is going to be amazing. Look at my new barn. I'm going to dedicate this barn. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to put all my goods in it. And Jesus said, thou fool, you're a fool because this night your soul will be required of thee. See, we have to be careful about this. Well, I'm going to wait putting off what we know we need to do today till tomorrow because the Bible also says the Spirit of God will not always strive with man. Just because the Lord may be speaking to your heart today about salvation and you think, well, let me put a plan into action for that. I hear what he's saying. I see the guy on the cross. He waited till the last minute. Why don't I? That's not a good plan. That man was saved out of the grip of hell by the amazing grace of God. 
That wasn't a plan that he uh, had come up with. I don't think he sat around and said, well, I'll commit all kind of crime. I'll, I'll, I'll be a thief. I'll be a thug. I'll do all these things, and then one day I'm going to be crucified next to Jesus, and so I'll call out on Jesus in that moment. I don't think that was the plan. And so we have to be careful. But if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you're listening online, you've never trusted Christ, I want you to know that if you will come to Jesus, oh, man, he's a friend. He'll come to you. He'll receive you. By the way, he'll receive you right where you are. That's what, He takes messed up people and changes their lives. He takes people with all kind of hurts, all kind of habits, all kind of habits, and he says, guess what? I got good news. I'm greater than all your sin. As the song says, he says, I just want to love you. And that's what he'll do if we'll come to Jesus. He will love us. He will save us. He will change us from the inside out. He'll forgive us. He'll cleanse us. And he'll cleanse us of all of our sin. He'll save, our, save your soul and give you a brand new start. By the way, that's what he did for me. That's what he did for this guy on the cross. And that's what he'll do for you. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth come, and let him that is athirst come. And watch this, it says, and whosoever will. I love that word, whosoever. It says, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life. How much did he say it cost? Freely. It reminds me of Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was speaking to the Jewish crowd who were trying to work their way to heaven, who were trying to spiritualize their way to heaven, who were trying to follow all the rules, all the rituals, all the rites of the Jewish religion to get to heaven. And Jesus says, you're blowing it. There's a better way. Come unto me, and I'll give you rest. And that's what he's saying to us today. Oh, by the way, do you want to know a cool fun fact as we close? A cool fun fact for you is that in John chapter 19, verse 32 and verse 33, the reality of Scripture is that we see that Jesus actually dies first. Guys, show the verse for me. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. Look at verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. You say, what's the big deal? <laughs> the guy, Jesus says, verily, I say unto thee that today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus is already dead. Can you imagine the scene? Old boy takes his last breath. Whew. He passes from this life to the next. And Jesus is like, where you been, bro? I've been waiting for you. Welcome home. Can you imagine the splendor of it all? And you and I can talk about the semantics. Well, pastor, I'm not really sure you're uh, biblically correct because we know Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb and he went down and he conquered death, hell, and the grave and then three days later he rose. No, he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And let me tell you something. God's not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should uh, regret it. Listen. When God says something, that's exactly what he means. And when Jesus said that this man would be with him in paradise that day, I believe 
that as soon as they broke his legs and he passed from this life into the next, Jesus was on the other side welcoming, welcoming him with open arms. Oh, what a day that will be when you and I are saved by grace through faith and walk out of this life and into the next. So let me ask, do you have that guarantee? Do you have it? Do you have that guarantee? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that as soon as you stop breathing in this life, you walk into the next life with Jesus? And if you don't have it, do you want it? You say, I don't have that guarantee. I don't know, but do you want it? Because it's not mine to give, but it is his to give. And Jesus says, if you'll call on me, I will answer you and I will come in to you and I will sup with you. Listen, it is as simple as doing, it's as simple to obtain as doing what the dying man on the cross did. Doing exactly what he did. He believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls out on the Lord Jesus Christ and it was Jesus who forgave him. And Jesus who said, guess what? You're coming with me today. All it takes is faith. And by the way, God's more interested in the sincerity of our hearts than the accuracy of our words. A lot of people say a lot of things like, well, let me just pray this prayer. Can I tell you something? Jesus is less concerned with how you say that prayer and more concerned with what's going on in the heart. I've heard people say, well, I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't say the prayer right. I got news for you. It's not about the prayer. It's about your desire and your realization that we are sinners, all of us, and you calling out upon the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I just need you to forgive me. I need you to come inside of my life and change me from the inside out. That's all he wants from us. And so remember, he's more concerned about the sincerity of our hearts. And here's another thing as I go to the Lord in prayer. Remember, it's never too late. I've, I've run across a few people who say, man, I don't know how God could forgive me. I've done so many bad things. You just don't know, Pastor. I've committed this. I've done this. I've said this. I've, I've done all these different types of sins. And I just don't know how, I don't know how the Lord could forgive me. Can I tell you? The same way he forgave this dying thief. He didn't, he didn't qualify for forgiveness, did he? This guy on the cross, he wasn't a candidate for the, for, for the best criminal of all. He didn't, he didn't do anything to get his salvation other than realize Jesus was God and ask him, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's never too late. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Here's, here's what I wrote down as I close. I wrote down these words, all have sinned, but I got good news for you. All can be saved. All have, all have sinned, but the love of Jesus goes out to all. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I encourage you, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It only matters what you do right now. Right now. And you say, well, how do I do it? You bow your head and your heart, and you admit to Jesus, not to me, you admit to Jesus, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I didn't have to tell you that. You didn't have to tell him because he's God. But he wants you to repent of that sin 
He wants you to understand the weight of that sin is what sent him to the cross. That he died in your place. He became sin for you. And in your forgiveness, when you ask him to forgive you, he will forgive you and he will come in and begin a new relationship with you. A relationship not, not, not molded on a relationship like you have in this world, but a different relationship, a better relationship. And the Bible says he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And so I encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ, do that. Do that right now, right now, as we all have the opportunity to pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.